Most of us wrestle with some combination of fear, worry, or anxiety. For some of us, it's a daily battle. But the reality is, everyone worries about something. I'm Adam Hamilton, author of the new book and Bible study experience, Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in Uncertain Times. Over a five-week period, we'll explore the most common worries and fears experienced by Americans today. We'll consider the anatomy of fear, the actual physiological processes behind our experience of fear. Then we'll explore proven practices to deal with our fear and to look at the important role faith can play in helping us live unafraid with courage and hope. While you may always have to live with a measure of fear, you don't have to live afraid. Join me together as we will come to understand that courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the act of doing, living, and being, despite our fears, secure in God's love. Hi friends, good morning. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And if you're new with us, we want you to know that you're our guest and we're thrilled you're here. And if you'd like to let us know you're here, you can text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Fill that out, tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. So thanks for joining us this morning. This is the first week of our new series, Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in uncertain times. One thing is for certain this year, uh, I think you'll agree with me here, we are living in uncertain times. Uh, we're living through a global pandemic, an economic downturn, uh, a divisive presidential election, and the ongoing struggle for racial inequality all at the same time. And then just this past week, of course, we found out that the president of the United States himself uh, has COVID-19, casting a further shroud of uncertainty uh, on the near future. So we are living in uncertain times, and perhaps now is one of the best times ever to understand fear, how it works, and to learn to live with courage and hope, even in the midst of fear. It's been said that courage is not living in the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing even with fear. And so to help us, we are basing this series on a book by Adam Hamilton, a pastor in Kansas City, uh, entitled Unafraid. And for the next uh, five weeks, every week, the, the sermon is going to be based on the book. And actually, most of the time, you're going to hear from Adam Hamilton during the sermon. And then every week on Wednesday nights, we're offering an online connect group led by Travis and Kristen, who have been leading an online connect group since the shutdown began. We really appreciate them. And 6 p.m. Arizona time, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, every Wednesday during this series, they're going to be leading a discussion group based on this book. They have like a 10 or 15 minute uh, video that you'll watch together on Zoom, um, led by Adam, and then you'll have discussion in that online connect group. So to participate, just order your book today. And I'm sure you can still get it in before this Wednesday. And the book's actually divided into five parts to coincide with the five weeks. So just read part one. Um, I think it's page one through 42, I believe, is part one, just to get ready for the group uh, this coming Wednesday, October 7th. So today you're going to hear from the author of the book, Adam Hamilton. And this message is entitled, Living in an Age of High Anxiety. And so we're going to begin by acknowledging the fear that we are experiencing right now. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to look at what fear is and how to live with courage and hope in uncertain times. So let's watch. 
What strikes me is that we live in a time where we need a series of sermons like this, maybe more than ever. 1948, W.H. Auden wrote a book. It was a book of verse that hardly anybody has read, but lots of people know about, and that book was called The Age of Anxiety, 1948. And while a lot of people didn't read the book, they certainly, uh, you know, that, that title really seized them. So people in the late 1940s and the 1950s, they grabbed a hold of it and they said, you know, we are living in the age of anxiety. And I think back, the 1950s, right? Happy days, the fawns, 1950, that was the age of anxiety. And, and, and when we think about that, if that was the age of the 1940s 19, and 50s were the age of anxiety, what would we call today's age? And I think we'd have to call it the age of high anxiety, right? We struggle with fear, we struggle with worry, and we struggle with anxiety. And, and the truth is there's so much to be fearful of, right? And, and so as we think about it, we, we think about the, the issues we face today, there's terrorism, global warming, there's uh, uh, economic insecurity, we think about school shootings, mounting deficits, identity theft. There, uh, we live in a world in which society is changing, our culture is society is changing at a speed that is really you know, just hard for us to figure out where do we plant our legs, things are changing so fast. Uh, we, we look at, uh, at the changes that are happening technologically in the world. All of these things give us a sense of uncertainty, a sense of fear or anxiety. I, I think about how quickly we get information today, right? So 100 years ago, people didn't get information. Seven days later, maybe you'd get information from what happened across Europe, you know. And, but today, we get that information instantaneously, more than instantaneously. I mean, I, I, I often wear this watch, my Apple Watch. It vibrates because of the news apps that I have on here. I, I have three different news apps, so I get three vibrations every time there's breaking news. And of course, my phone, where is it? Right here. It's in my pocket. It's also vibrating, and it lights up this morning at 6 o'clock. You know, I wasn't even really out of bed yet, and I see it lighting up. Now, I have it on Do Not Disturb at that time of the day, but, the, but it lights up, and the bathroom lights up, and, and I know something bad has happened somewhere in the world. And every time this thing vibrates, even while I'm preaching, you know, it vibrates, and I know something bad just happened someplace. And that's happening, I'm getting breaking news multiple times every day, right? Is it any wonder that we're afraid, that we feel anxious about what's happening in our world and, and experience worry and fear? And some of us experience, you know, just a sort of chronic worry, whether it's about our children or our families or maybe about our health or it's, uh, it's about the jobs that we have. And, you know, a lot of guys like me, like, I don't think of myself, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not anxious. I'm just stressed out. Right? This is the masculine term to describe what it means to be fearful or anxious, is I'm stressed out. And, and I know that stress. I feel that stress every single week. Now, my kids are grown and they're doing pretty well, so I don't feel anxious about my kids. You know what stresses me out today? You. You stress me out, truthfully. It's my job, right? I, I feel this every week. Now, Monday's my day off, and I don't feel too much stress on Monday, but Tuesday, I start feeling it. And by Thursday or Friday, I feel this pressure on my chest, Right? And it's, okay, is the sermon going to be any good this weekend? Have you heard from God? Do you think, have something worth sharing with people? Is it going to touch their lives? Are you going to inspire them, leave them you know, walking out the door saying, I've got to come back next week and I want to go change the world? And, and, and if it doesn't, in my head, I think you know, none of them will come back next week if it doesn't do it. They're all going to be gone. The whole, the whole place is going to be empty if I can't at least hit a first, you know, hit, get to first base in the sermon somewhere. And, 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 and it's not just the sermons. It, it is uh, thinking about, okay, we've got a capital campaign coming up in the future. We've got a, the new building we're moving into. I, I think about the people in our lives who are in the hospital the people who are sick, the people whose marriages are coming apart. I think about all those things. I think about the denomination and Methodism and, and the state of Christianity in the world. And, and you know, that, that just feeling, I'm telling you, a day does not go by except Mondays when I don't feel this pressure on my chest. I went to the doctor some years ago. I said, hey, I'm just worried. Am I having a heart attack? Like, I, I feel this. He said, no, no, you're, you know, check me out. And your heart's fine. You're just stressed out. 
Now, I don't want to overplay that. You know, I'm not that stressed out. I'm, making, I'm trying to make a point, though. We all experience this. And, you know, sometimes that stress then shows up in our dreams. So uh, every, every once in a while I have this dream. Uh, it's a recurring dream. It happens maybe once a year or so. And that is it's Sunday morning, and it's 920, and I forgot to go to church. And, and I wake up, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's church, it's church. And, and, I, and I run out the door, and I get up here to church, and I, and I run in here, and it's just in time, and Pastor Wendy's just said, now it's time for Pastor Adam to preach, the scripture's read, and I, and I come out here, I'm like, uh, I got nothing. I don't have a sermon manuscript, I don't have anything to share with you, I'm just standing there, and I notice some people starting to giggle, and I look down, and I realize I forgot to put my pants on before I left the house. <laughs> standing there preaching to my boxers. Well, I don't know what you're afraid of. But I'm guessing you have stress, worry, anxiety, fear in your life. And so let's just be honest. How many of you ever struggle with stress, worry, anxiety, or fear? I think that's about 100% of us. So we struggle with these things. And part of what we want to try to figure out in this six weeks is what are we afraid of? We did a survey a few weeks ago, and 3,000 of you took the survey. And so we looked at the top five things that you all uh, indicated that you were, you know, worried about, anxious about. We're going to talk about those and some others in this six-week series of sermons. And part, part of what we're going to do is figure out why are we stressed about that? Why do we fear? What's the real, you know, should we be afraid of this thing? And then we're going to look to see what do the folks in the therapeutic community say we might be able to do to deal with our anxiety and fear. And then we're going to end each sermon looking to see what does the Scripture teach us about our spiritual disciplines and other things that might help us to be able to live with our fear. We are going to have fear, anxiety, and worry. The question is how are we going to deal with it? Now, what's interesting is that, uh, is that maybe perplexing, is that our high levels of anxiety are coming at a time when human beings are living longer than they've ever lived before, when, uh, when violent crime is down by 50% since the mid-1990s. We're living at a time when less Americans have died in war in the last 40 years than any 40-year period of history of our country. We live in a time where poverty levels are, are going down worldwide, where uh, the ability to read is going up, where we are, well, one person said it this way, uh, Daniel Gardner in his excellent book, The Science of Fear, he says, we are the healthiest, wealthiest, and longest-lived people in history, and we are increasingly afraid. This is one of the great paradoxes of our time. And you understand, of course, that worry, fear, anxiety, it takes its toll on us, right? It exhausts us. It, it wears us down emotionally. It, spiritually, it wears us down. It, it has an impact on our relationships with other people. And you probably are aware of this, but our worry, our fear, can actually take a toll on our health, so we can literally worry ourselves to death. We can bring upon ourselves an early death because of our fear, worry, and anxiety. So I want to suggest to you that most of that worry, fear, and anxiety actually stems from a part of our brain that is a gift from God. There are two systems in our brain that work really closely with each other that are aimed at helping us, uh, aimed to be a good gift from God. One of those is that early warning system that sometimes is called the flight or fight mechanism or the fight or flight mechanism. You're familiar with this term. And, and that your body actually is centered in the amygdala in the brain. Deep down inside the brain, uh, there is a mechanism that helps you survive. It helps you in the face of threats. And it's not something that's conscious for you. It's a subconscious event. So your eyes take an input, your ears, your nose, your, your sense of touch, your taste. All of these things are sensors. And those sensors are sending feedback or sending information to the brain. And deep in the, in the brain, in the amygdala, there is a, an ability to sense a possible danger even before you consciously are aware of it. So you have even thought of it yet, but something has triggered this early warning system. And this early warning system is a lot like the smoke detector in your house, right? We all have these. And these things have sensors, and they're meant to tell you, hey, there's a fire, there's something dangerous, you need to get up, get moving, get out, call the fire department. 
And that's going on inside your brain. And when that's triggered, what happens is you, uh, there's a series of chemicals that are released. It starts with one hormone, it goes to another hormone, and this, this creates a cascading physiological effect in your body. Again, often before you can even process with your, with your conscious self, you have this happen. And so your pupils dilate. You know all this. Your pupils dilate. Your heart beats faster. Your breathing becomes shallower but faster. Your blood pressure rises. The blood is shut off to certain parts of your body, and it's, and it's directed to other parts, in particular your muscle systems that are going to help you to run or to fight. That is a good gift. It's what saved us from being eaten by the lions in the days when there were lions all around. It's what protects us in the event of possible danger. But there's a problem with that system. Sometimes it goes off when it's not supposed to go off. You ever have your smoke detectors go off when they're not supposed to go off? Don't you just love that? Especially if it's in the middle of the night. Last month, it happened in the middle of the night for us. And of course, now all of our smoke detectors in most homes are wired together. So when one goes off, they all start going off. So you hear one first, and then pretty soon you hear the beeping in every single room. Don't you love that? And, and, it, uh, and it starts going off, and I'm jumping out of bed, you know, and now my amygdala has triggered all of my responses in my body in, in response to the smoke detectors. And if you have a system that's hooked up to the, you know, phone system, then you also get the fire department that's on their way out to make sure that you're going to be safe. And you're supposed to run outside, you know, and... and but, but you, you smell, I don't smell anything. You start searching through the bedrooms, you can't find anything, but the stupid thing is still going off, you know, and I'm twisting the things off and pulling the, I mean, I got wires hanging down. It's still from last month. I can't quite figure out how to get the smoke detector back on because I'm trying to get the thing to shut up. And that happens in some of our bodies sometimes, right? And, and when it happens on a regular basis, it happens to all of us sometime where we might feel ourselves having a panic attack or, or overwhelmed with anxiety. Uh, and... And for some people who have this persistently, we call it a generalized anxiety disorder, panic attacks and, and the like. And, and today there's 57 million people in America who suffer from this. This is more than any other mental illness, is the amygdala sending these signals when there is nothing to be afraid of, and suddenly your body is in hyperactive mode. And when that happens, uh, what it feels like to you, you can't see anything that's wrong, you can't think of anything that's wrong, but your heart is beating faster than it's ever beat before. You hear it pounding in your ears, your palms are becoming sweaty, you feel a great sense of dread, you're breathing shallow, and you're certain you're dying of a heart attack. And so you show up at the emergency room, and, and they check you out, and they assure you that at least in the moment, your heart's okay, and so they start running a whole battery of tests. And then, and then uh, you know, they reassure you, your heart's fine, and it happens again, and you're back in the emergency room, and you're saying, well, there's something wrong. Well, are you sure you're not just anxious? I'm not anxious about anything. I don't feel anxious about anything. There's nothing that's, my life is going perfect. I have nothing wrong. There's something going wrong in my body, and so they run another series of tests, and then there's another series of tests, and then finally they come to you, and they say, you know, we're sorry we've done everything we can, but we're, we're really pretty sure this is you know, something going on inside your brain, your amygdala, that's, that's triggering, your, your smoke detectors are going off. And, and you say, that can't be because there's nothing to produce anxiety in my life. I, everything's going great in my life except this. And there's about 57 million people who struggle with this. That's one in every five to one in every six people. So in this room, you know, there's 1,100, 1,200 of you here. That's 300 people. And, and so, you know, this is part of what some people face persistently. And medication helps and therapy and there's other things that can help. But this is part of what some people face persistently. All of us experience that sometimes, once in a while. So we have an early warning system that's a gift from God that's going, going off when it shouldn't be going off. There's one problem. The second system that we have is one that's meant to anticipate our needs or threats to our survival in the future. And that's also a good gift. You know, you have the capacity to do this. Now, some animals, you know, inherently do this. They don't consciously think about it. So the squirrels, you know, store up their nuts for the wintertime, right? Uh, but, but most animals, maybe no other animal, actually 
imagines what threats might be out there in the future so that it's prepared for it. So, you know, this works like this. You know it's possible you could get in a car accident, so you buckle your seatbelt. That's a good thing. And you know that you're going to have to retire someday, and so you start scrolling away money now for your retirement, you sort of plan that out. You know that if, if it's going to be a cold day, you better get your kids in their coats and their gloves. All of these things are anticipating things that could happen, right? And, and so the medicines you have on your shelf at home in the event that you need it because you have a fever, you anticipated that, and that is a good thing. But you see, that anticipation and that system works alongside your imagination. So you have to imagine potential threats that could come, and then you react to those. You're ready for them when they come. That keeps you alive. But the problem is our imagination can become hyperactive too sometimes. And we begin to imagine the threats that could come. And, and unfortunately, today we live in the information age where we're constantly being bombarded with information about potential threats, and we don't either have the resources or we don't take the time to discern which of these are real threats and which of them are not. I mean, which of the things that I need to worry about here? So uh, the last time I was overseas, I had uh, so a couple of people who were talking with me, and they said, you're from Kansas? I said, yeah, we would never go to Kansas. Why would you never go to Kansas? Well, because tornadoes. You guys have tornadoes all the time. I would be scared to death. I mean, like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, I mean, she was sucked up by that whole tornado. Like, like, how many times do you see a tornado every year? Like, well, I'm 52. I've seen one, and it was a long ways away, and I've never... Well, how many times has your house been destroyed by tornadoes? Well, it's never been destroyed by tornadoes. See, they didn't have any way of discerning whether tornadoes were like a daily threat in Kansas or whether they were something that you hardly ever see but happens once in a while. This is the way we are with all of this information that comes to us. Is, is we find ourselves, we can't discern between all those threats, and so our imagination becomes hyperactive. When our imagination becomes hyperactive when it comes to our worry system, then you know, we basically are getting out the magnifying glass, and we're looking at things, and we turn, uh, we turn mountains, we make mountains out of molehills, right? Little things become really big things, and that adds to our anxiety, and suddenly that trips that other warning system, and, and we find ourselves with the pressure on our chest and the feelings of anxiety about what's happening in our lives. We're not really sure how we're going to overcome this. Uh, one word that we use for that is catastrophize. So we, we consider the possibility of all of these catastrophes that are going to happen in our lives, and the likelihood of those things happening are almost nil. But we think about it a lot. Now think about uh, my little dog, Maybell. We have a little dog. This is Maybell. And uh, I think, there we go. Yeah, and, and she is the sweetest little thing. She's just a tiny little dog, but she looks like a Doberman Pinscher. She's just a little tiny miniature Doberman Pinscher. And she doesn't know she's not a Doberman Pinscher. She's a, a little Chihuahua pug mix. But she, uh, she's ferocious when she needs to be. And she'd never bite anybody. But she, uh, you know, if there's a, but when we take her out for walks like at night and she hears something over there, she starts marking right away. When, uh, when she sees a leaf bouncing across the yard, she's going to go and attack the leaf, right? Uh, we had a Christmas gift that we laid on the couch for just a little while. And it didn't belong on the couch. And she was sure it was something bad. And she's barking barking away at the, you know, she's ferocious until the other animal, if she does see another animal, turns on her, and then all of a sudden she's, you know, hiding behind my legs. But, but, um, but the one thing that really scares her is thunder. She's terrified of thunder. And so when it's thundering outside, or on the 4th of July when things were booming outside, when that's happening, she's just quivering. She's just a quivering little mess. And the only thing that helps her at that moment is for, you know, us to pick her up and hold her tight in her arms. See, she doesn't understand that she's actually safe in the house from the thunder. It's not going to get her, and the fireworks are not going to get her, and that's ways people are entertaining themselves, but she can't process that. She just is a quivering mess, and that's how we are sometimes with the imagined threats in our lives, the things that are happening in our world as we find ourselves afraid. One of you gave me a great acronym for fear. It was false events appearing real. False events appearing real. I thank you guys, yeah. And, and as I think about that, you know, that is what often happens. Most of the fear, the worry, the anxiety in my life are false events 
that appear real. Now, it's not that there aren't things that we should be afraid of. There absolutely are, but the problem is discerning between those things. There are times we should be anxious, times our early warning system is really triggering us for a real threat, but 99 out of 100 times, that's not what's happening in our life. And the threat is really, uh, it, is, it is things that appear, false events, that appear real. All right, so how do we combat our fears? And that's really what, where I want to wrap this up. How do we combat our fears? Um, and each week I'm going to give you one clue from the therapeutic community. And what's interesting is most of the things that the therapeutic community uses to help people when you go in for counseling or, or uh, you know, for, for some form of help are things that human beings have done for a very long time. We just didn't know uh, to call them by a fancy name. And, and often we've forgotten them, and so the therapists, the counselors are really, really helpful. The psychologist is helpful in helping us to appropriate these things. But one of those is uh, something called exposure therapy. Exposure therapy. And exposure therapy, uh, there was a name for it in years past, and the name for it was simply confronting your fears. Confronting your fears or facing your fears. So confronting your fears or facing your fears, exposure therapy. Here's the idea, is that if there's something that you are terrified of or something that's causing you great anxiety, uh, most of the time it's not a real threat, but if you could face it and you could experience that, you would, you would finally overcome it. And uh, so, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples of this. When um, last week I was listening, listening to the news, uh, not to the news, to NPR's uh, This American Life, and there was a story about Bob Carlson and his daughter Tess. She's 10 years old, and Tess was terrified of heights. She was terrified of going fast. She was terrified of going upside down. She was terrified of roller coasters. And so, uh, and really scared about them. She'd go to the amusement park, but it was, ter- you know, it was terrifying for her, for her to even think about going on a roller coaster. And her dad said, well, you know, I wonder if we could just confront your fears. How about if we, would you trust me and just hold my hand and we're going we're gonna to go on a little tiny roller coaster and just a, like a kiddie roller coaster. And so they went to Six Flags and they went on the little kiddie roller coaster. And he, you know, she was scared and he held on to her and she did okay on the kiddie roller coaster. How about if we go to the next one? And she had to think about that for a little while, finally got on the next roller coaster, a little bit bigger. She survived that, got on the next one, got on the next one. Finally, it was the nine-story tall revolution roller coaster. This is one where you wear 3D goggles on your face while you're going upside down on two different loops, traveling at something like 60 miles an hour. And he said, okay, are you, do you trust me? You gonna be okay doing this? And she did. And they got on the roller coaster and he recorded the audio of what happened. I want you to take a listen. happened, Tess? I just rode a looping roller coaster for the first time in my life, and it was so exciting and wasn't even that bad. I am a different person than I was a minute ago. <laughs> I love it. I am a different person than I was a minute ago. <laughs> How did she become a different person than she was a minute ago? Because she faced her fears, right, with the help of her dad, and that's what counselors do and therapists do is to help you face your fears. I was reminded when I was hearing the story of our daughter, Danielle, she's our oldest, and when she was at K-State, she did something that I'm glad she didn't tell her mom and I about until after she was done. She signed up for the skydiving club. And when, when she actually did tell us after she had already done it, you know, LaVon's in tears, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you know for 18 years I tried to keep you safe and you jumped out of an airplane? What were you thinking, right? This is the conversation we're having. But, but I asked her to tell me a little bit about why she did that, and she wrote me a note this week. She said, I joined the skydiving club as a way of confronting all of life's fears head on in one act. I knew that in my family I was genetically predisposed to anxiety 
and I wanted to take preventative measures to keep fear from being a governing force in my life. So she signed up for the skydiving course. She made seven solo jumps out of a little Cessna. And, uh, and so she says, as a trainee, the jump began by the instructor throwing open the door of the plane next to which you were sitting, and this is the view that she had. She said, being on the edge of the plane, looking out at the ground below was terrifying and exhilarating. Once you worked up the courage, you would grab onto the diagonal bar that connected the wing of the plane uh, to uh, the body of the plane and pull yourself out. And so this is, she was practicing this on the ground before they actually went up in the plane. Can you imagine crawling out and holding onto that when you're scooting across you know, the wing? But this is what she's doing. And, uh, and she said, uh, you know, at this point, uh, you get to where you're parallel, your body is parallel with the ground, takes a few seconds, and then when you're finally about spread eagle, you know, flying out there, you just let go. And she said uh, it was a totally unique vantage point from which to view the world when she let go. Calm and removed from all worry and chaos. It's a place where you can be a simple observer. I love that. Then she wrote this, and I love this quote. She says, once your feet touch the ground, the rush returns, and you feel like you could do anything. After all, you have looked death in the face and said, not today. (laughs) I love that. And you can see the feeling on her face here when she finally got down to the ground and just the joy of having overcome something that was utterly terrifying. So uh, facing our fears, you know, actually walking right into them is one strategy that therapists say can be helpful to some people. Now, that's just one of six. We got five more, so don't be disappointed if that one doesn't work for you. But we got a whole bunch of others we're going to talk about over the coming weeks. But each of these are helpful to a certain group of people in overcoming their fear. I wonder if there are any fears you need to step into instead of run away from, because what we typically do is avoid and continue to keep the fear and worry in our hearts. Now, that takes me back to uh, our spiritual uh, resources that we have. Now, while, uh, you know, today we might think of the fact that we're, you know, we're just now wrestling with anxiety attacks and generalized anxiety disorders and panic attacks and, and even regular chronic worry or stress, you know this isn't new to us, Right? Like every human being has wrestled with fear and anxiety since the beginning of the human race. And and that's why when you open up the Bible, you find that there are over 400 verses in which the Bible addresses fear. 400 times, more than 400 times, fear or being afraid are addressed in the Scripture. And there is one constant refrain in the Scripture, right? And and by by the way, let me just pause here and say, you know, up until the 1950s or maybe, er, you know, earlier than early 1900s, People who were afraid and had panic or anxiety, they didn't go to a therapist, right? They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't prescribe Xanax back then or Zoloft. So where did they go for help? They turned to God, right? They turned to their faith. They opened up the scriptures. And, and so when you look at the Bible and you see 400 times fear is addressed, it tells you this was a big issue in biblical times. And there is one refrain in Scripture that appears more often than any other, one phrase that shows up more times than any other single phrase in all the Bible. Most of the time it's on the lips of God, sometimes on the lips of the angels, sometimes it's on the lips of Jesus. And this is the phrase. Let's say it together. Do not be afraid. And then usually it's in a context like this. Like in Isaiah we read these words, don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will hold you with my righteous, strong hand. This is God speaking to us. Leave that up there for just a second. Will you put it back up for a minute? So here's what I do with passages like this. When I read them, then I pray them. So I'm going to take that passage and I'm going to say, God, help me not to fear. 
Help me to remember that you are with me. Help me to remember that you are my God. I claim you as my God. I trust that you will strengthen me. I believe that you will help me. Hold me, Lord. Hold me near. Help me not to be afraid. Hold me by your strong and mighty hand. And when you take those passages, you hear God speaking them to you. You turn around and you pray them. You begin to find a peace from them. Now, David was Israel's most important king. Uh, David was, uh, was, before he was a king, he was a shepherd boy, and he was anointed early to be the future king of Israel. He, he became an assistant to the king, King Saul, Israel's first king. King Saul struggled with mental illness. King David was uh, not only an assistant to the king, he was a great warrior, and p- people began to look at him as a heroic figure. They would talk about how Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands, and, and this really tripped King Saul's insecurities. And at some point, King Saul decided he needed to kill David. Can you imagine that? So he's going to kill David. So David has to flee from Jerusalem. He has to flee not just from Jerusalem. He has to, he has to find some place to hide where the king can't find him because the king is serious. He's going to die. David is going to die, and the king is going to kill him. He's going to have somebody kill him. So he has all of his military men, all of his spies searching for David so they can kill him. And David goes to hide. He goes to hide in the caves at En Gedi uh, just over the Dead Sea. And, uh, and what's interesting about David, what does David do when he's afraid? You see, he's, he's got to be afraid. This is terrifying. The king wants to kill him. Everybody's looking for him. What does he do when he's afraid? He writes songs to God. He writes poetry. He writes prayers to God. And then he puts those to music and he begins to sing them. And he sings them and he sings them and he sings them. You know, right in the middle of your Bible, I mean, right dead center, if you, if you took your Bible and you open it, unless you have a lot of notes in the back, you open it dead to the middle, you're going to open it to the book of Psalms. The word psalm means song. We have a hymnal right in the middle of our Bible. And that hymnal is interesting. It has some hymns that are designed for when life is going great and you can sing those and praise the Lord. And, and, and yet some of those hymns, the most powerful ones, were written when people were terrified. And they weren't sure what to do. And they were wondering where God was because they didn't feel God was helping them at all. But you get to even the end of those psalms where they were terrified and they were not sure God was there. And, and you get to the end, they say, and yet I will trust in your unfailing love. Right? And there was always this word of hope. And many of those psalms were written by David or inspired by David and his story. So Psalm 56, which was read at the beginning of the service, or at the beginning of the sermon, Psalm 56 happens when the, it says right at the beginning of the psalm, when David was fleeing from King Saul's murderous threats and he was living among the Philistines, his enemies, pretending to be crazy so King David couldn't find him. And in the midst of that, at this moment where he's living among his enemies, afraid that they might decide to kill him, while King Saul definitely wants to kill him, he writes these words, whenever I'm afraid... I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, I trust in God, I won't be afraid. What can mere flesh do to me? I I don't know about you, but I sing to God a lot. Uh, And I don't just sing in worship. But you know, we come and we sing in worship, and sometimes we just move our lips, but we're not really engaging. But you see, when you really start to sing and and the words come out of your heart and not just from your lips, you find a peace. That's part of why we sing three or four songs every Sunday so that you might feel that peace in the presence of Christ while you're singing. It worked for David. It works for us. I remember when I was a kid, I was in high school, and I was in uh, Mexico City on a, a trip with my Spanish class from Blue Valley High School. So somehow, I got lost from the rest of the class one evening. We went out. There was like six, six of us went out, snuck out from the, you know, without the teacher knowing, and we went to, uh, to just go goof off. And somehow I got separated from them, and I find myself in Mexico City, one of the largest cities in the world, after dark, I have no recollection of the name of our hotel or where it's located. We don't have cell phones. And I'm walking through the city, 
And I'm finding myself, you know, the further I walk, the more terrified I become. I cannot find where I'm going. My heart's beating faster and faster. And I began to hear this little voice in my head say, sing to me. And I started singing songs I learned in youth group, songs, hymns that I learned in church. And I began to sing. I started making up words to them. You know, I didn't even, I remember the tunes. I couldn't even remember all the words. I started making up words. And suddenly I began to feel this calm and this peace. And after an hour of walking around, I came back to my hotel. I mean, this works. It works in my daily life today. There are moments when I feel stressed out or anxious and I begin to sing to the Lord and I make up words still to the songs. I saw this work this last week. I saw it work actually yesterday. I was at the hospital with a member of our congregation who was dying. Actually, he's not a member. His daughter's a member. And I've known the guy for a long time. He's a young guy and he was... Uh... Anyway, when I got to the hospital, he was intubated. Uh, he'd been sedated. His daughter and I went to, by the bedside, and they had reduced the sedation at that moment, and he was uh, coming to. And when he came to, he had this terrified look in his eyes. I mean, really scared. And his daughter brushed his hair back and said, Dad, it's okay, I'm right here. And, and I, I took his hand uh, over the sheet and reached out my hand on his shoulder, and I said, Hey, I, I came here just to remind you that God is with you, and I want to pray with you right now. I said, Okay, let's just pray right now. And he nodded his head. And, I began to pray, and I could feel his body was just so tensed up, and I began to pray for him. And as I began to pray, I began to feel it loosen up just a little bit. And then we said the Lord's Prayer together, and I looked to see, and he was saying the Lord's Prayer, you know, mouthing it uh, with the tube in his mouth. And then when we were finished, he was still, I could tell, he opened his eyes, and I could tell he was still afraid. And I said, would it be okay if I sang a song to you? And I sang him Amazing Grace. It's the only thing I could remember at that moment. I began to sing him Amazing Grace. And as I was singing Amazing Grace, I began to feel his hands loosen up, his muscles began to, begin to soften. I began to look in his eyes, and I saw there, there was this look of peace, and he begins to try to sing the words with me. And what I saw was a peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Which takes me back to little Maybell. So one of the things we, we learned, you know, if there's thunder going on outside, you hold her, right? And she won't be afraid if she's being held by her master, but you know when it's night, I'm just not going to stay up all night holding my dog when it's thundering out. I just, I can't do it. And Levon said, well, you know, they have this thing at the pet store called a thunder shirt. And I said, what is that? She said, well, let me get one. And so she gets this thunder shirt and it's, you know, Velcro, you wrap it up and Velcro really tighten the dog. I said, this is never going to work. And, and she said, well, let's just try it. And sure enough, when you wrap her up, she feels like she's being held by you, even if she's not. It just helps her kind of feel that way. And there she is in her little thunder shirt no longer quivering or shaking when it's thundering outside. And it strikes me that your thunder shirt, at least the one I want to mention today, is singing songs to God and praying. And instead of using your imagination to imagine that you're going to have cancer or your kids are going to die young or you're going to be in a car accident or the terrorists are going to get you, how about if you turn your imagination to believing that God is actually by your side holding you close and he won't let you go? So here it is. You know, if we could summarize this, don't give in to false events appearing real. Try facing your fears head on and see if that might not be of help. And sing and pray and imagine God is holding you near. And I believe you'll experience a peace that passes all understanding to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. And I might just encourage you, you know, wrap your arms around yourself like you're hugging yourself. It may seem silly, but would you just do it for a second? And I want you to imagine that God has got a hold of you and he's not going to let you go. I want you to remember these words of the Lord as I speak them. I want you to hear him saying them to you. 
Don't fear because I am with you. Don't be afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. I will hold you with my righteous strong arm. Lord, I pray that you would help us to feel your peace and to trust in you and not be afraid. And now I invite you to join together in singing Amazing Grace. Amen.